1: Over the past few weeks, we've met state healthcare workers suffering burnout amid severe pressure from a rising disease burden after the pandemic. Staff shortages are leaving teams like the one headed by Dr. Katya Evans of Mitchell's Plain Emergency Centre fighting an unstoppable tide.
2: It can break you down. Um, a lot of our, our doctors are struggling with moral injury because you may be at times not providing the care that is uh, in line with your um, principles and what you want to provide.
1: In an undercover visit to the Northwest, we showed you state facilities broken by poor management. Sulufelomeko, for one, blames Dawoong District Hospital for the death of her son. And mother and now won't go there
2: sometimes when I was in the hospital his fits would start but the nurses wouldn't be there I would have to leave my child unattended and run to call them from the offices where they would be just sitting busy chatting away
1: In the rural Eastern Cape, some passionate healthcare workers confided their frustrations to us. Here, calling an ambulance is wishful thinking.
3: Not here. Head blocks?
1: Not here. The oxygen tanks, small and large, are not here. And if they do arrive, emergency services can't offer much more than transport, leaving a dedicated paramedic like Zamanem Gwandaise himself traumatised. Yes, you open the windows, so that must get... You uh, open the windows for oxygen. The windows, yeah, so hey, it's, it's, awesome it's not fun improvising, mm-hmm. you see. So that
3: is why we, we manage.
1: The only solution, says Dr. Nicholas Crisp, Deputy Director General of the Department of Health, is national
4: health insurance. What we need to do is find better ways to spend what we have. There's not a shortage of money. There's a very big shortage
1: of efficiencies within the system. But is the plan for universal health insurance enough to revive state care? By
0: now, it's no secret. The South African health system is on life support. With crumbling infrastructure, general mismanagement, a lack of resources, and sometimes sheer uncaringness from medical staff, can our public health system be revived? Some say yes, thanks to the proposed national health insurance. But others argue that government should first fix the current broken system before even considering the grand notion of free and equitable health care for all. We brought in some experts to debate the issue.
1: Let's get straight into it, Dr. Glom. I mean, that's the question, right? Will NHI be the silver bullet? Many people watching this and who've been watching our campaign will balk at that idea, and they'll say, you're taking what little may be working, the private sector, and you want to gobble it up in a system that has those failures. Thanks, Bongani, and
3: good evening to your viewers. Maybe let me start by saying, a few years back in the whole country there was a program that we embarked on that was called the NHI uh, pilot we piloted the program and I hope people should understand in that pilot we did not come up with an objective to say should we or should we not go on with an NHI in the next few years is us to say what would be an ideal clinic an ideal hospital how would it look like on that situation that we defined and national health insurance, where the universality of health for all South Africans. So we listed, and some of the issues that are coming up there are actually things that we really should and must work on. And again, related to that, the president, President Ramaphosa called in 2018 an inviso of healthcare workers, healthcare, all those who also had an interest, activists in the country and academics to say, what are the challenges? Let's actually listen to the South Africans. What are they saying about healthcare systems in our country? And we came up with the nine pillars. Some of the issues that are raised in the video are related to those nine pillars the shortage of staff, the infrastructure challenges, emergency medical services not being actually op- optimal.
1: Professor Musa, uh, Dr. Lomo says these things should be addressed. And we know and we've highlighted them, and many others have but the truth is they don't get addressed. Now, you've pioneered some of what could work in terms of your outreach program, but to be fair, what's being proposed here isn't structural change, it's really access to the kitty.
4: Well, I think that as, uh, as a practitioner, as a family physician, I support the NHI, largely because it is not unique to South Africa. It actually is across the world. The Lancet Global Health Report talks about in primary healthcare care financing about the importance of two important issues, which is strategic purchasing, which I think the government in principle is trying to move towards, and also capitation, mixed capitation funding. I think the difficulty is that our government's trying to do far too much in communicating very poorly about what it should be doing. Um, for example, the eight and a half percent that Dr. Crisp talks of, um, it's, it's, it's kind of erroneous to think that because we're spending 8.5% of GDP, being half the public and half the private, that you can simply lump them together. The 8.5% is part public funding, which is the government collecting taxes, but the other half is actually people pulling out of their own pockets to contribute. And to me, the NHI can only work if, in fact, there's a clear conception, which I think Dr. Loma talks about, that it is not about just fixing the public service. It's about bringing the good in the public and the private together. And to convince people enough that the quality of care that they are gonna be now taxed on will in fact show up in the kind of service that they get. And we've tried models of that. Sasha Stevenson, nobody can argue with
1: universal access. I think that's what we all want. If those kinds of stories we've been showing continue, we're all sitting on a powder keg, we know that. But the devil is in the details, is it not?
2: Absolutely. And that's our concern with the, the NHI bill as it stands. The, the, the bill introduces a very complex system. It introduces a number of new structures. It, it introduces a governance mechanism that is that centers really on one person, the Minister of Health. And in so doing, it potentially puts the health system at risk. Now, of course, that's not to say that there isn't change desperately needed in the health system. Both the public and the private health systems have huge shortcomings. And there's a a real need for urgent change. But we need to make sure that we get those details right, because the risk is large and the need is, is even larger.
1: Dr. Loma, what do you say to your critics who say we often jump the gun? I mean, too much fanfare. We told the world we were going to produce vaccines for the continent, for example. Months later, that idea has been shut down. If we make the kind of mistakes people like Section 27 are flagging on this, the U-turn is going to be almost impossible to come back from.
3: I'm not sure what you mean, Bongan, when they said uh, the dreams of... um... The vaccine was been shut down. We're starting from a, a very low base. In fact, there's something that I really learned recently that uh, there has always been from the ruling party a desire to have a pharmaceutical industry established into the country. Among other things that will produce, there would be vaccines and any other uh, pharmaceuticals that we do need the issue that comes in there, look at the side of health, we will be the recipient of such a product and such a program. It is actually driven by science, the Department of Science and Innovation, but they've raised certain issues and obstacles with regards to the PFMA, the other issues related the regulation that needs to be undone as to actually go that route. But we already do have basis of that establishment. In Cape Town, there has been an issue we were visited by the... Sure, I
1: mean, if, if I may come in there, Doctor, the, the- point simply is we come up with lofty ideas that at times prove unworkable. But the biggest concern of all, obviously, if we look at the recent history, say with COVID-19, a lot of people will be watching us and saying, hang on, this government in charge of those funds?
3: Look, um, uh, let's separate those issues, Bongani. If we actually look out into the world, they've actually commended the government and the department in the hands of Actually, making available the drugs—I mean, the, the vaccines—to the South Africans. The issues of corruption that actually came around it, PPE, and all those—they were things. extensive. Yes, uh, uh, but they never stopped us from actually delivering the goods. Those are issues that the SIU must actually still work on it. We
1: we don't condone that the corruption that took place around that. Professor Musa, you are a caring and committed clinician part of your success has been because Big Brother has been away from what you're doing. Are you willing to subject yourself to this kind of system that is
4: so riddled with failures and even politics? Well I wouldn't. I think, let me just respond to some of the comments made. I think the bill has got too much I just shared with the minister. I mean, the CUPS and the DHMOs, these are District Health Management Office, the contracting unit for primary care. That whole scenario in primary care, and am I interested in primary care, um, is too much and too quick. I mean, what they're trying to do in, in South Africa, New Zealand took 12, 15 years to do, and that offer base of actually starting a capitation system. What you're asking about, how might we do it? Yes, I work with National Treasury in actually setting up a plan, which they appreciated, Um, dealt with the issue of funding and the way in which we might put that together. It was a very simple plan. It was essentially saying, let's create the NHI fund as a medical scheme, which can contract, but in primary care, contract with providers who are out there, which might be clinics, GPs, And in fact, we configured it such that any GP, any clinic would be able to contract based on a a sort of model where the team in the clinic would have a doctor and where the doctor in the GP would have a a team around him and that they would take a a population and they, they would then be contracted. And mixed capitation is about capitation, a fee for service for a smaller element and some performance management payment. This is not unique to South Africa, it's global. And to then have that as a single contract that could be signed by all GPs, all providers across the country, and then be administered. And what I suggested administration was, don't go try and reinvent one big behemoth, Eskom. Take the current medical schemes and work with them to say, here is a contract, very clearly specified and deliberated on by providers and the, 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 the purchasers, and says there's a contract administer this. And we suggested that if you're looking at the provinces, nine provinces, you'll be able to get a contract that's administered by government, and none of the issues that are being raised raised about oversight or the conflicts there. Because I work in a clinic, and there's a clinic manager who's sitting with a notional budget of 100 million rand. Ask her how much she's got to actually use 5,000 a month. Now how on earth? Give her the money. Yes, give her capacity as well. And that whole model was to give capacity right down to that level. And the problem is we are trying to have these layers and layers unnecessarily with 250 cups, contracting units that are going to enter into contracts. That's a recipe for problems. And I don't support that at all. Give it to the providers on the ground and they'll make it work.
1: Sasha, what about the issue of accountability? We have seen that even when government has been forthcoming with information, as soon as people look too closely, I'll give you Deng as an example, for example, the school fogging issue, as soon as people look too closely, we close ranks and that information becomes unavailable. How worried are you that even as what Prof Musa is suggesting works, when there are problems we will not know?
2: accountability is fundamental and I think what goes with that is transparency um, and and the the kind of uh, suggestions that that prof is making make a lot of sense what we need to ensure is that all of the decisions taken under the guise of NHI all of the contracts entered into all of the bids submitted are transparent because in so doing we we open the system up to ensure that there is oversight by the public and by those responsible for keeping tabs. If I can also just jump in on a a, a point you made earlier, Bongani, you know, in, in COVID, there were huge problems with PPE procurement. But what we also saw was the starting of collaboration. And in some research that we did, speaking to people across the health system, public, private, academia, civil society, everybody recognized the importance of collaboration between the public and the private spheres. That is what we need to start trying to inculcate. And there are various opportunities for doing that. So Prof raises some. Teng you mentioned, currently has more than 2,000 people on a waiting list for radiation oncology, and there aren't the services. There are those services in the in the private sector. Let's show how we can collaborate to build the kind of trust we need for real health systems reform. I think
1: many of us saw some shining lights. You talk about the rollout of the vaccination programme and maybe discussions like this are part of that collaboration and coming together. Mm -hmm. I thank you all uh, for coming and being a part of our conversation.
0: Thank you for listening. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to Carte Blanche, the podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. While you're at it, why not rate and review us? We love hearing from our listeners.